I never count calories at all because I 1000% believe that what you eat determines how much you're going to eat. So I never count calories. I hate counting calories. I also think that protein calories probably shouldn't even count. You know, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Uh, we have all these protein overfeeding studies where you just basically can't get fat from eating too much protein. And I, if I were going to count anything, I would pay attention to calories from fat and carbohydrate. And the, and, but even there, I think that fat is being unfairly penalized because carbohydrate has less than half the calories per gram, but it ends up driving more downstream hunger because you feel your blood sugar dropping three or four hours later and you're eating more of them. So once again, I don't really think calories are that helpful, even in a carb versus fat scenario. So yeah, calories are kind of dead to me. I, I know that they do determine everything, but it's not the right way to try to drive your health. This is Living Your Big Bold Life Podcast, and I'm your host, Bet Lucas. I have five crazy kids, a full-time career in a mostly male industry, and I've been on a health journey where I've lost over 40 pounds. On this podcast, you will find encouragement for your own unique journey. You'll be provided tools to help you not just survive this life, but thrive in the areas of health, career, and family. So come live your big, bold life with me. Are you ready? I sure am. Hello. Welcome to Living Your Big, Bold Life podcast, episode number 16. I am your host, Bette Lucas, and today we are featuring part two of Dr. Ted Naiman's interview. Last week, we featured part one. And so many of you commented how much you enjoyed that episode and how many pieces of wisdom you took away. Today's episode will not disappoint. Ted dives into keto, intermittent fasting, vegetarianism. He answers some really tough questions on dairy, nuts, and alcohol. And lastly, he shows how his new book and his theory around the PE diet truly could be a great tool for your tool belt. Now, let's get to Ted. So Ted, to start the second part of this interview, I think it would be really fascinating if we could kind of dive into the different kind of eating approaches like vegetarian, keto, carnivore, intermittent fasting, low fat, low calorie, And I'd love your opinion and perspective on what you typically recommend to each of these eating lifestyles and also what you may caution each of them uh, about as well. And especially if they're not seeing the effectiveness anymore or if they are starting to stall in their health journey. So let's start with a vegetarian you have a vegetarian patient that comes into your office, how do you help them maximize their PE ratio when it may be, as you've stated before, a little bit more difficult than if someone was keto or carnivore or uh, low carb? 
Oh, oh, good question. Oh, can you hold on one second? I have like a 70 pound pit bull here trying to eat something she's not <laughs> supposed to. Time. No, no, you take your time. No, you have to leave this in. But hold on one second. I'm sorry. Okay. Kylie, Papa, why are you eating that? Oh my God. <laughs> Oh, wow. Okay. Sorry about that. <laughs> Don't worry. We have animals. Yeah. So what was the pit bull trying to eat? We have to hear. Oh, it was a roll of paper towels. <laughs> <laughs> we rescued this pit bull and she's great, but she, yeah. If you ever have too much free time, just get another dog. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what we did. We got a new uh, puppy last year. Like we needed that, like a hole in the head. Oh, exactly. Right? Like, and, so and, oh my gosh. And, you know, already at that point, we had what, five kids, nine and under. And, you know, our house already is, you know, it's a daily battle or you really, you lose every day. The inmates have taken over, <laughs> but we, we, we literally, now it's like, just add to that another, you know, what is, I think Jim Gaffigan, it's like, what's it like to have four kids? It's like with the puppy, what's it like to add another animal to your life? Well, just imagine you're drowning and someone throws you a baby, you know, I mean, that's anyway. So, I get it. Oh, that's too funny. Back to the, if a vegan or vegetarian comes into your office, how do you help them kind of maximize the efficiency on a, on a PE ratio or what's the advice you give in your book? Oh, right. Okay. So yeah, that you can definitely be optimally healthy on a vegan diet. I mean, it's really hard to do. It's a really uphill battle, but I will be the first to say that I see patients who are doing this and what you really want to do is go out of your way to just target the heck out of protein, which a lot of vegans and vegetarians are doing, even if they're not aware of it. A lot of the meat alternatives, quote unquote, that vegans and vegetarians eat have an insanely high protein to energy ratio, like uh, tofu is phenomenally high in a protein to energy ratio, and soybeans in general, a lot of legumes, uh, lentils, peas, uh, these all have about the same protein energy ratio as steak and eggs. And so they're actually really not that bad at all. A, a lot of the fake meat that vegans and vegetarians are eating, your textured vegetable protein, your seitan, your uh, wheat gluten, your fermented soybean products, they're all um, actually a very high protein to energy ratio. So as long as you go way out of your way to target those, you're actually not going to do that bad, provided you're supplementing B12 and a few other things that vegans and vegetarians tend to be low in, like uh, DHA and zinc and... Uh, you know, your omega-3s and a few other minerals like that. But I will say that a lot of vegan and vegetarian protein sources are automatically giving you a lot of carbohydrate. Right. So if you're just eating like legumes, you know, if you're eating <clears throat> soybeans and lentils, they're pretty good. But some of your legumes have a lot more carbohydrate coming along with that protein, like you're just your pinto beans and your kidney beans and your um, grains, God forbid, th these have a fairly high amount of carbohydrate along for the ride. And when you're eating proteins that are that high in carbohydrate, what you have to do is keep your fat intake really, really low. It's like, 
if you're a carnivore and you're eating fatty meat, that the protein has a lot of fat coming along for the ride. You have to keep your carbs extraordinarily low. And then when you're a vegan or vegetarian and you're eating these proteins like legumes that have a lot of carbs along for the ride, you have to keep your fat very low. So it's perfectly natural that vegans and vegetarians end up on the low fat side of the spectrum and your carnivores end up on the low carb side of your spectrum. That's exactly what you would expect and what you would want from this PE point of view. And that's exactly what I recommend. Like if you're a vegan or vegetarian, you want to keep your added fat as low as possible because you're probably getting so many carbohydrates along with your protein. And then you always, of course, try to target protein uh, especially protein with lower carb and lower fat, which is what you're getting from some of these tofu uh, type products. So you can definitely pull it off. And I'm, you know, I'm encouraging vegetarians, of course, to eat any animal products they're willing to eat, like mm -hmm. eggs and uh, dairy. And then if you're strictly vegan, it's just like, well, target the hell out of protein, maybe eat protein supplements, definitely eat all of these meat substitute high protein to energy ratio foods, and then keep the fat low if your protein has a lot of carbs. I love that advice. What about when you see a purely keto patient? Right. So a lot of keto people, they cut out all these carbs and they just immediately lose 20 pounds, right? It's it's great. They're, they're a lot more fat adapted. They can go really long periods of time without eating. It's amazing. That's awesome. It's like a superpower. But if you stay at the same kind of 15% protein diet that we see in the rest of the world, once the carbs are out of the picture, it really comes down to fat balance. If the grams of fat you eat every day equals the grams of fat you burn every day, you're going to stall out and you're not going to lose any more weight. And I feel like half the keto world is stalled out a little fatter than they want to be because they're, they just reached this fat balance where they, you know, eat 100 grams of fat a day and they burn 100 grams of fat a day. And the way you bust through that is by eating less fat. And the only way to do that without starving to death is to eat more protein and fiber, which has a higher satiety per calorie. So in the PE diet, what you're doing is once again, avoiding refined added fats like high fat dairy, like butter and heavy cream and oils and nuts and foods that are really high energy density fats. And instead you're eating more protein and fiber. So it really ends up looking like just a much higher protein and fiber version of keto. It's more of fish and more salad. And you know, you're eating uh, more poultry or skinless poultry, even instead of the, just the fattiest pork shoulder or ribeye you can get. And it's, basically trading some of your fat grams for protein and fiber because it will have a higher satiety per calorie and then you're eating less fat and then you can burn more fat. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I find women struggle on keto because they don't naturally go to protein as well. Like it just feels like we as women, and I don't know why, I, and, and myself included, when I first tried keto, I just caught myself eating like 80% cheese, I swear. I really wasn't 80%, but it, it wasn't like focusing around an animal protein, you know, meat, like a, or having some salmon or having an uh, eggs or it, 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 it worked for a while, to be honest. It worked well for me, but then I, I just didn't do as good of a job and a book that I that I really enjoyed, even though I'm not a smoothie fan, and I know a smoothie is a big part of her 
kind of premise is the book Body Love, but she talks about kind of the fab four, protein, fat, fiber, and greens, kind of those four prioritizing those. And that was a big light bulb moment for me when I was kind of low carb and keto was like, yeah, I think I'm doing this, but I'm doing it wrong. Like I'm just not emphasizing the protein part as much as I should. And I find that men, maybe I'm wrong here, but I find men do a better job at that. They just naturally gravitate towards the protein piece first. And us women, we've, we struggle more there. And then we wonder why we stall out. And it's funny because when I've asked our Motivate group, like anyone with me on this, they're like, yes, I'm, I'm just eating a lot of cheese. <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe we're just weird, but. I believe that. And I think there really is some sort of biological difference between men and women there. And so I have a ton of women who just tell me like, I don't really like meat. I don't eat a lot of meat. I'm not a big meat person. And so for them, I'm just a huge fan of there's a couple secret weapon foods that are so insanely high in protein without really being meat that they're extremely powerful. Egg whites is one of them. Non-fat plain Greek yogurt is another one. Non-fat cottage cheese, whey protein, casein protein powder, uh, plant protein powders. So I have uh, some female patients who are you know, every day they're eating, you know, low fat fermented dairy, like whey protein and casein and cottage cheese and plain Greek yogurt. And they're eating uh, things made out of egg whites, for example. And that, that you can actually do it with just like eating fish and dairy and egg whites. You could concoct this extremely high protein diet without eating any quote unquote meat at all. And I do have a lot of female people uh, doing that. So I think there's really something to that. And I think it's good to be aware of that and then just meet people where they're at. Yeah, I agree. And then I think that there can be for some, there can be this transition where the more they are feeding themselves high nutrient, high satiety foods, sometimes then they will transition their palate changes. I do find that happens, but I completely agree that based on most of the women I run into, they struggle more than men do on going, you know, mm -hmm. carnivore. And now, now it's been interesting. I've had different phases in my journey. I don't struggle with meat now, but I've had times where I just, it wasn't what I naturally gravitated to. And so I've kind of had to you know, take baby steps in that direction. And now I find that's much more appealing to me and I'm actually fine with it. Mm -hmm. So here's one thing that I also have found. Okay, so we have the intermittent fasting community. Something that I found within that group is that it seems like those that consistently intermittent fast in kind of their lifestyle, they do have a little bit higher carb tolerance. Now, not everybody, but it seems like they can, if they have a shorter eating window on a daily basis, I don't know if it's just their glycogen stores have, have been so reduced. So I think it's fascinating how you kind of cycle your carbs. And have you noticed when you kind of keep carbs in, in one eating you know session, whether it's your lunch or your dinner, that you found that that's better than kind of spreading them out throughout the day? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and I feel like anytime I 
intermittently fast uh, for long enough to deplete liver glycogen that I can get away with a certain amount of carbohydrate, no problem. And also magnified with exercise. If I do high intensity exercise and deplete muscle glycogen, Mm -hmm. then I can pretty much eat an obscene amount of carbs. I can eat all the carbs that I want. And I, you know, I, I don't recommend that everyone go out and buy a continuous glucose monitor, but I, I happen to be wearing one right now and I play around with it a lot. And I'll tell you, if I've not eaten carbs for 23 hours and did a high intensity workout, uh, the amount of carbohydrate I can eat that just falls into my liver and muscle glycogen is way higher. And so, yeah, there's absolutely something to that. It's all about the glycogen in that scenario, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. So as a mechanical engineer and probably someone who just like loves like diving into the data, are you a calorie counter or are you not a calorie counter? Well, I mean, it is really all about calories. I will be the first to admit that it is just very strictly calories in, calories out. But I never count calories at all because I 1000% believe that what you eat determines how much you're going to eat. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. If I put you in a room with nothing but uh, salmon and salad, like I know that you will never, ever, 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 ever have to count calories, worry about calories, think about calories. You're just going to eat salmon and salad. You're going to be at your ideal body weight. There will be no calorie concerns there whatsoever. If on the other hand, we just lock you in a room with nothing but, you know, little Debbie's (laughs) and you come out a month later, uh, calories are going to be a, a, a consideration because you're going to overeat calories every single day and you can't help it. You're just going to do it. And so I think that calories are all powerful. Of course, it's all about calories in, calories out uh, mechanistically and from a thermodynamic point of view. But how much you eat is completely completely determined by what you're eating. So I never count calories. I hate counting calories. I also think that protein calories probably shouldn't even count. You know, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Uh, we have all these protein overfeeding studies where you just basically can't get fat from eating too much protein. And I, if I were going to count anything, I would pay attention to calories from fat and carbohydrate. And the, and, but even there, I think that fat is being unfairly penalized because carbohydrate has less than half the calories per gram, but it ends up driving more downstream hunger because you feel your blood sugar dropping three or four hours later and you're eating more of them. So once again, I don't really think calories are that helpful, even in a carb versus fat scenario. So yeah, calories are kind of dead to me. I, I know that they do determine everything, but it's not the right way to try to drive your health. Yeah, I struggle with calories because I find some days too, I'm more hungry than others. And when I was a calorie counter, I found it flawed for me personally because I was just trying to hit that calorie marker. Mm -hmm. And maybe that day I really, if I was really listening to my body, I wouldn't have needed that many calories. And then other days, maybe... I had a really high intensity workout or something else. I actually needed more. And so that's, you know, that's where I find for me, you know, people always ask me, do you count calories? Do you count macros? 
you know, I don't, I totally respect if someone wants to, but I just feel like counting calories can be flawed in a lot of ways and, and then hate to hate on Weight Watchers. But, you know, kind of a lot of people that I run into are, are former Weight Watcher attendees. And what they would find is that when they counted calories, the foods they would choose wouldn't be the food, the best choices. So like you said, they weren't often choosing salmon or eggs or even, even let's call it a, a full fat Greek yogurt. They would never have chosen any of those things. A lot of times they would choose something that was pretty high carb, but low calorie. So I always pick on the snack packs and I don't know why I, I need to get something else to pick on, but you know, the hundred calorie snack packs, right? you know, really low calorie and in terms of, and really low points. So oh, yeah. I like you, I just have found that calories just really aren't something I you know care about. Yeah. I just really want to eat the right foods. And if I'm eating the right foods, then my body is talking to me correctly. If I eat, you know, if I go gorge on a on a really high carb, refined, let's say refined carb, refined fat meal, I know not only that's going to affect me today, but I know tomorrow I'm going to be hungrier. So all my signals, all my, all of that is, is going to throw me off my, my path. Whereas if I just would focus on the food, you know, what am I eating? What's the best thing that I can eat for my body? Exactly. Then the likelihood of that, that is much more successful to me than, than calories. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's totally exactly how I feel. So we've talked a little bit about dairy. I know some people, again, can have more or less. I had a lot of success with when I tried the Whole30 because I just took the cream out of my coffee. And I think looking back, I always tell the story. I think it was I was kind of fasting and I didn't even know it. But once I took the cream out of my coffee, I wasn't a big breakfast person. I was probably getting more hours of, you know, kind of intermittent fasting than I realized. And I had really great results just by kind of taking the cream out of my coffee. It sounds like you're not anti-dairy, that you like dairy, but that at times you're kind of recommending maybe look just watching your fat intake combined with that dairy. Am I correct there? Yeah, you're correct. I mean, there was a period of time where I was sort of like religious paleo. And I thought that, oh, if you just never eat wheat or gluten and never eat dairy, um, you're going to have a lot less, quote unquote, inflammation or all these magical things. And I just really don't find a lot of support for a lot of these things in the medical literature. And what I do find is just being over fat is one of the most inflammatory things you can have. And just overeating energy calories really does make inflammation worse. And you can look at symptom scores for every chronic disease and every autoimmune disease with over fatness, and it's a perfectly straight line. So anything that makes you thinner is going to make anything you could, you know, uh, subjectively measure in your body better somehow. So a lot of these people who, you know, read Wheat Belly or something and just totally cut out this food, they, they just have all these benefits. And what was really happening is that they removed a food that has low satiety per calorie and was making them overeat uh, with foods that don't. And then they lose weight and then their insulin comes down and then everything gets better. And it might not necessarily just be like that food was magically evil, kind of like you and your heavy cream and the whole 30 thing. 
So I've found that I can be a lot less dogmatic and a lot less religious if I just choose a lower energy density version of that food. Like I can eat, you know, low calorie bread that's 40 calories per slice and it's really not that big of a deal. And so I I actually can eat bread on this PE diet. You know what I mean? I'm not a lot of it. It's not the 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 star of any meal but if i'm eating a, a bread that's lower in carbs or lower in refined carbs it's actually not that bad and i don't have to be religious about it and same thing with uh, dairy it's like oh i could actually eat two pounds of uh, plain low-fat greek yogurt and it's really no problem uh it was that half a cup of heavy whipping cream that I had in my six cups of coffee that was really causing a problem. Kind of just like what you realized there. So I think that once you understand what's really driving some of the successes with some of these things, you you can be a little bit less religious and dogmatic and it's, it's very freeing. Hey friends, it's Beth. If you are enjoying today's podcast, I really hope you will join me every week for what I hope you find are inspiring interviews and bold content on topics like family and career and health. And can I also ask you a favor? Can you press that subscribe button and write a review if you like what you hear today? By doing those things, you are helping me get the word out. And I truly would be ever, ever so grateful. It also allows you to be the first to know when new content arrives. So please subscribe today. Now, let's get back to our guest. Feels like people that get really dogmatic get a lot of attention. And yet that's going to come and go, right? Because we're going to continue to learn. We're going to continue to evolve. We're going to continue to look back and say, oh, well, tweak here. And what about this? And so I really appreciate that, especially as someone that's in the medical space, because I think it can be hard to not be dogmatic. (laughs) So I really, really appreciate that. Okay. What about nuts? I, I realize they have a high fat content. It's not a refined fat, but how do you handle uh, nuts in your diet and what would you recommend? Nuts are really, really difficult. I mean, there's basically only two foods in nature that are simultaneously high in carb and fat together. And that's uh, the milk of mammals, which is very high in lactose or milk sugar and milk fat at the same time and fairly low in protein. And also nuts, which are high in carb, high in fat and low in protein. And these are both pretty much baby food for baby plants or baby animals designed to make both of them grow as rapidly as possible. And so I will be honest with you, I don't eat a ton of nuts. I actually had to stop buying nuts and snacking on nuts. And there was a period of time where uh, nuts were my primary snack. And I could I can eat a whole pound of macadamia nuts in the blink of an <laughs> eye. And it's you know, like 2,000 calories. It's insane. And so now I realized, oh, you know what? I can buy that whole one pound bag of snap peas and it's 35 calories a cup. I can eat a whole pound of snap peas for like 150 calories. That's the same as nine almonds or something. Like the difference is just obscene. So I will be honest with you, I don't eat a ton of nuts. And that cuts out for me a lot of keto snacks and keto 
treats and keto this and almond flour that and coconut flour this and nut butter that. And I literally just walk around, you know, one or two percent body fat lower than I did before uh, when I ate them all the time. And I it's not like nuts are bad. I do eat some nuts, but I have to be really strategic with them and really careful with them because they are inherently a low protein energy food. And they're also one of the only foods that has carbs and fats together in it. And basically squirrels eat these in the autumn and just automatically get fat as hell for wintertime. Bears also eat these acorns and put on a ton of fat for winter. We can, we can fatten any omnivore mammal with nuts. Uh, acorns, we feed acorns to pigs to get like the fattiest pigs you've ever seen. Uh, bears eat acorns in the autumn to store fat for the winter. You know, squirrels are eating these nuts and getting super fat and it's dangerous. I ha- I have hacks, you know, I like I have the PB fit, uh, defatted peanut flour, the p- peanut butter powder, right? And I'll I'll put I'll sprinkle that on my plain low fat Greek yogurt or something. I can eat a ton of that and the PE ratio is awesome. And so I can put this peanut butter powder in anything and, uh, and I really love that stuff, but I'm not getting all of the fat calories, you know what I'm saying? And I'm sure that's like uh, heresy to your average, just dogmatic, low carb keto person. But that's what you have to do if you're trying to be as successful as possible. Um, and so nuts are a little bit dangerous. I'm just going to say it. I can't disagree with you. And I think it's so easy for me personally in my journey. I love, I love them all. And I can eat a lot of them. Like you were saying, you could eat a pound of macadamia nuts. Like when I have my weaknesses, I love pecans. And I could, I could just, you know, it's not just a little handful. Like I could keep eating them. It's like Lay's potato chips for some people. So I really have to watch it too. And I think it's really important. I loved your point about the baby animals and baby mammals on gaining weight and also kind of the seasonal nature of why they would eat those foods. And so similar to the sipping on, if you're someone who sips on your coffee all day, but you're putting milk in it all day, well, that can be problematic. Similarly, if you're eating nuts as your primary snack, well, that could be problematic. You know, so now if you're, you're being successful and your diet is effective, great. Then, then keep, that's what I always tell people. If what you're doing is working, don't, you know, don't change it. Great. But, but for many, uh, much of the population, what they're doing is not working. (laughs) So (laughs) anyways, okay. I have a couple other fun ones. What do you think about snacking? Are you kind of a proponent of letting your digestive system have a break and really just focusing on the meals? Or are you kind of a smaller meal snacker person? Which one are you? Well, I kind of like somewhere in between. Now, I used to be really, really into just strict intermittent fasting. Like, you know, I, you know, I read Eat, Stop, Eat by Brad Pilon. And I'm like, oh, yeah, just go a whole 24 hours without eating. And, uh, you know, but now I realize that as you get as you get thinner and thinner, uh, intermittent fasting is less and less valuable because you really do start uh, breaking down lean mass. So you can only get about 60 calories 
uh, per 24 hours from each pound of fat on your body. And so as you get really, really lean, like if you look at these um, bikini models and bodybuilders, and as they get really lean, they're eating air, you know, they're eating six times a day, they're eating protein every four hours. If they don't do that, they literally will break down lean mass. So as you get thinner and thinner and thinner, uh, the less you want to go without eating protein. And now if you're like 500 pounds, oh yeah, just don't eat for a year. Like that one guy, you know, just, just, uh, take some minerals and, uh, stay hydrated and you don't have to ever eat. It's you'll recycle protein from all the connective tissue you have to support all that fat and you'll just burn all the fat for energy. Yeah. It, the fatter you are, the longer you can go without eating. So, so I realized that this really has to scale up and down based on how over fat you are, how much fat you have left. As you get more and more insulin sensitive, you actually want to eat more frequently. And then I realized that it kind of doesn't matter if you're eating exactly the right foods. Like uh, again, if we locked you in a room with nothing but fish and salad, it wouldn't matter if you had 12 tiny meals of fish and salad a day versus one giant meal of fish and salad once a day. It's not going to matter. It's really, really not. So I think what you eat and what your body composition is like is really going to dictate how crucial it is to snack or not snack. I, I think that when you throw carbohydrates in the mix, that's where snacking really gets problematic. Like the average American is eating 300 grams of carbs a day, every two hours, eight times a day for a 16 hour eating, win eating window. So your average American is eating carbs every two hours, eight times a day for 16 hours, which is insane, which keeps people really hungry and hungry for carbs and not fat adapted at all. And they're never burning stored body fat and any fat they have to eat just gets stored and never burned. And everyone gains a pound a year. We all end up 50 pounds overweight. That's a nightmare. That's a disaster. So that's, you know, that's where I have a problem with snacking right there. I've tried to kind of limit my snacking because I've seemed to have better success. But similar to you, when I was farther along in kind of my journey and I had lost more and more weight, I had more flexibility than I did in the beginning. But it did help me in the beginning of my journey to take longer breaks. And we had a gentleman, I know you're not a proponent of extended fasting, and I completely agree that it is not for everybody. But Similarly, he was very overweight. And so he could go a really long time once he he was fat adapted. You know, his body was just turning over all of that that energy. And like you said, he he could supplement with minerals and and that's not for everybody, but like you said, the thinner you are or the if you are kind of farther along in your journey and you've lost a bunch of weight or or you don't have a lot of weight to lose, it's it's harder to go, you know, as long or it's not as necessary. But really I think your final point there is the key. Really at the end of the day, it continues to go back to what are you eating? You know, what what are you eating? And and I think we naturally want to find shortcuts all the time. You know, oh well, I found something where I can eat anything I want. And right. really at the end of the day, with anything in life, there's no shortcuts, right? There's there really isn't. At some point, 
<laughs> it does catch up to you. So there's no shortcuts to being able to eat a you know a big Big Mac and a large fry every day. There really isn't in my exactly. Opinion. There isn't. Well, I actually so we you know so many people in our community spend so much time just. Uh, sorting out the minutia of their diet with their exact macros and their exactly what they're eating and what they should and shouldn't eat and when and they should and shouldn't eat. And uh, on the flip side, there's somebody out there just doing a crap ton of exercise and then literally hitting the McDonald's drive through and just eating a burger and fries and has better body composition than all of us. So to some extent, the less you are willing to exercise, the more you have to geek out on the diet side and vice versa. So, yeah, there's always, uh, <laughs> like you said, we were always looking for shortcuts. And for a lot of people who've tried every single diet thing there is, what they're really, ha- what they really have is a massive exercise deficit. And they've just never put in the time and energy in the exercise side. And that's why they have to get so worried about the diet side. Okay, Ted. Whether we want to hear it or not, what are your thoughts on alcohol? Okay. All right. So I am not much fun. I am not fun at parties. I think that alcohol is 100% bad. It is completely bad. Not only is it a pure refined dietary energy, you know how I said refined carbs and refined fats have driven the entire global diabetes epidemic. Well, actually, alcohol could just be uh, considered a super sugar. It's just an ultra refined sugar that... Uh, gives you nothing but dietary energy with no satiety at all. It's actually negative satiety. Downstream, people eat more after they've consumed alcohol. So you're eating this pure refined dietary energy that's seven calories per gram, which is even worse than carbs, and it has an even higher oxidative priority than carbs. So you literally have to burn it all off before you can burn anything else. And people will literally eat more hours later after they drank alcohol. So it's not only is it 100% bad from a energy macronutrient standpoint and a satiety per calorie standpoint, but it's also extraordinarily toxic. It's metabolized into acetaldehyde, which literally pickles your brain. It shrinks your central nervous system. It kills your brain cells. It's uh, the it's toxic. The metabolites are toxic. It literally causes 22 different cancers. And it's basically has zero redeeming properties. And I, I don't drink alcohol and I don't recommend alcohol. Yeah, I find that that outside of the coffee piece, to be honest, the two top things I hear from people that they struggle with is one, sipping on cream-filled or you know flavored cream or coffee all day. And wondering why Mm -hmm. they can't lose weight or they don't feel good or whatever. And, but they're barely eating anything, but they're sipping on that cream filled coffee. And then two is wine. Really, I, I, I think a lot of people struggle just with alcohol in general and how much to have, not have it at all, over consuming, consuming and then overeating and, those two things, it feels like I know it's really simplifying it, but in a lot of the the community, I mean, people aren't just having, and I'm guilty, like I will have, I cannot just have, and maybe someone's like, oh, bet, you know, they're going to call 
you know, call my doctor and say, Bet has a problem. But I can't just have one glass of wine. Like, it's really hard for me to have. And I, I think when people say, oh, I have a glass of wine, very few are actually having a glass of wine. They're finishing that bottle with their spouse. And I just think we need to have a real, you know, kind of light bulb moment that if alcohol is in our diet, what that means and what what we have to do to then overcome that and and work that much harder, I think. Mm-hmm. It, the, I also have, you know, I have, I don't know how many patients who their drinking patterns every night, they just have like two giant glasses of wine, right? They're not drinking first thing in the morning. Uh, they're not drunk all day long. They've never had a DUI. They're never late to work. They're totally, they're doing all their responsibilities. They really just drink at night and it's just two like super giant glasses of wine, but that's too much alcohol and they are getting negative uh, health repercussions. Their blood pressure is too high. Uh, Their red blood cells are abnormally high from the bone marrow toxicity of alcohol chronic alcohol poisoning, you get these little changes from chronic low-grade alcohol toxicity. Uh, Elevated blood pressure is the most notable one, but it's actually negatively impacting your health. And people can't stop doing it, even though they know it's bad for them, which is the definition of an addiction. And so I have a lot of patients who are just sort of a light alcoholic, where they just have this light uh, alcohol use disorder, which is basically they can't stop drinking a little bit too much every night. And it really screws up your health. I think people don't realize it. They're in denial about it. And so I, I think if you're going to drink alcohol, you just have to be really, really honest with yourself. It's pure um, refined dietary energy that has no satiety. It's toxic. And it's also, uh, if you're drinking more than one actual drink, which is a small glass of wine a day, you're definitely negatively impacting your health. Yeah, I I think that's so huge. And even though it's a hard message for a lot of us to hear, I think that it's really important. And I think that it has just been come so ingrained in every uh, thing we do and every social situation that you know, people have a lot of fear around that too. Like, well, what am I going to do? What am I going to drink? You know? And, and we have a member who kind of openly shares about his journey and really trying to stay away from alcohol. And, you know, he'll have a club soda with lime or Mm -hmm. he'll have a LaCroix or whatever. And he says, yeah, at first it was hard. It was really hard. And, you know, everyone else is, is enjoying themselves or at least it felt like it and he's he goes but the results and the impact on his health journey were so substantial after he kind of accepted that that's really the best path for him yeah i love that i respect that that's huge and i have so many patients who've just decided okay i'm just now i'm the person who doesn't drink anymore because it wasn't aligned with my health goals and they feel so much better and they they enjoy themselves more. And it, it's kind of unique being the the most sober person in the room. And people really respect them when they're like, hey, you know, I decided this was actually not good for me and I'm not doing it anymore. I think people really respect that. I think that's received better than a lot of people think it's going to be. 
And, uh, I, you know, I would just encourage more people to try that out and just be the person who has the club soda with lime. So, you know, mad props to that guy. Ted, as we close this interview, I always like to ask our guest to share one last piece of bold advice that they want to leave the listeners with today. What's yours? Uh, I mean, my my number one piece of advice is get out of your comfort zone when it comes to diet and exercise. You know, it's like so many people never put maximum tension in their muscles uh, with any kind of resistance exercise. And when you go from not doing that to doing that, your return on investment is is infinite. And so many people are not putting maximum effort into any kind of cardio uh, exercise. And when you when you go from not doing anything like that to maxing out your cardiorespiratory abilities, you just immediately make your body better. And if you if you just push out of your comfort zone, eating carbs less frequently, intermittent fasting, cranking up the protein percentage, doing the exercise, uh, all of these things are very, very uncomfortable transiently. But the payoff is that you're literally a better person the next day and then everything in your life that you do gets easier and better and so it's being willing to put up with these transient discomforts of optimal diet and exercise to and the payoff being you just look and feel and perform better every second of the rest of your life and that's my message to most people. Most people are so addicted to comfort that they just sit there and barely move. They don't put any tension in their muscles. They don't uh, push out of their comfort zone with fat adaptation or with high protein diets or any of this stuff. They're just eating for comfort and being sedentary for comfort. And as a result, they get these horrible health conditions that are actually supremely uncomfortable for the rest of their lives. And you want to get out of your comfort zone, push yourself to be better now, and you'll literally enjoy every minute of the rest of your life more as a result. I love that. And it reminds me of one of my favorite quotes. John Maxwell says, everything worth having is uphill. Everything. And at first, it's going to feel uphill, but it's totally worth it. And like you said in the beginning of the interview, your health is of prime importance. And it, it impacts every area of your life, your family, your career. And too often, we think prioritizing our health is selfish when really by prioritizing our health, we can better all the other areas of our life. Absolutely. Ted, I so appreciate your time today, your wisdom and your perspective. If people want to find you, where is the best place to do that? You know, I'm on Twitter at Ted Naiman, and uh, I have a Facebook group uh, called Burn Fat, Not Sugar. Uh, I'm on Instagram at Ted Naiman. But the very, very best thing I have out there is the book. It's called The PE Diet. And if you go to thepediet.com, you can read about it or buy it. It's it's also available at Amazon and pretty much anywhere books are sold online. And uh, I really think that I try to just encapsulate everything I know into one place. And it's in that book, which I wrote with uh, William Schufeld, who's also an awesome guy. And you should interview him on your podcast too. Oh, that would be awesome. I need to do that. Well, I'm so glad to hear that it's on Amazon and listeners really go and check out Ted's work. As you can see by today, 
There's so many great perspectives and insights that he's learned on his journey that I know will impact yours in a better way. So thank you, Ted, for your time and have a wonderful day. Oh, you too. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening today. For more information, you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and my new website, betlucas.com. And remember, friends, be you boldly. The world needs you.